Hi, everybody, so, and what? Start it. <laughs> now you, now you hang up. You hang up. No. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. Go. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the second installment of the Hand One Is Dealt. We want to thank everybody who uh, listened to our first guest, Caitlin Mays, uh, and gave us feedback. Um, we're always looking for, you know, encouragement and, you know, ideas moving forward. So thank you. Allie, do you yeah, have anything to say? I, I was really kind of blown away. I didn't expect that many people to listen. And I had so many people reach out to me that I didn't think followed me on social media or kept up with what I was doing. And people, I think I told you, Anthony, people were like, I, this, I'm so proud of you. This is incredible. You're inspiring. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? And they're just like a to be able to take an idea and see it come to fruition like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't really see it like that. I thought it was just effing around with my, with my friend, aunt, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I was uh, really happy with the way the first episode came out. One of the, um, I agree with everything you say, said, um, one of the points that we received in feedback was they wanted, people wanted to know more about our flow and what to expect when they listen to us. So I wanted to give some background on how we came up with the name. So when this started out back in April, I uh, wanted to name this or start, I wanted to just talk to uh, everyday people. I wanted to talk to people with different backgrounds and stories than my own or than ours. And so I thought, why don't we just name it uh, everyday people, and then maybe we can get Sly and the Family Stone to be our yeah, opening and then, song. And then what happened when you looked that up? That name? It, nothing. No, that wasn't. That was the first name. Then we had a second one. Allie hated everyday people. Um, I don't know. What? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it. No, you didn't like it. So I was like, all right, that's fine. And then I was thinking. Okay, what kind of ties into that? And then I came up with the human condition, which almost sounds, it's very serious, I thought. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a disease. <laughs> and I was like, yes, all in. It's the human condition. Allie, this is what we're going with. She's like, yes, I like it. All good. And then uh, I had a friend reach out to me, and they said, there's five other podcasts named the, uh, the Human Condition on Apple. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. So then I said, Allie, we got to come up with something a little bit more different. And so then we went on uh, line and I just did a quick synonym search for the human condition. And what we came up with was the hand one is dealt. And if you're not. Well, it started the hand one is dealt, but then contracted to the hand one's dealt. Yes. Yes. Okay. Shorter the better. I'm just clarifying. It's important. SEO, you know. Yeah, it's it's good. Um. (laughs) And so then we came up with the hand one is dealt. And if you're not familiar with that saying, it's if you've ever played in a card game. I hope you have. If you haven't, you've been Aww. neglected. Um, if, you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever, or you've missed out. I don't know what the word is. I can't think of it. Uh, if you've ever played in a card game, you know, you get this hand of cards. You just have to work with it uh, the best that you can. And even if it's good or crappy hand and so that term kind of translates into life you know we're all given these talents uh we all have these different personalities and we all are born at different you know socioeconomic levels and such and so we just have to work with what we've been given to try and make the best uh of our time that was very well put you like that 
Yeah. Not even rehearsed. Actually, that was that was, good. maybe it was a little bit rehearsed. Were you uh, reading that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I wasn't reading that. Well, should we talk about our uh, guest? Well, hold on. And then another point okay, is... Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Another point is, so here's how we do our podcast. We go into the recording with the guest, and then after the recording, we do a reflection immediately after, uh, just to kind of talk keep aloud. Keep it fresh. Yeah, keep it fresh, keep our thoughts, um, you know, new and, you know, get them out. And then we will record the introduction, which you're hearing now, at a later date. Um, so then we can also, in that time, provide some corrections if we made some errors and things we've said, or... Um, you know, we can give more context to a topic, say if we're so delayed and uh, are producing these and sending them out. Allie, do you want to talk about the guest, our second guest? Um, our second guest. We were really lucky to get to talk to Drew Sofer. A lot of people say Sofer. It is Sofer. Uh, I have known Drew since I was, I think, in kindergarten she's one of our dearest friends cousin so mm-hmm. i've honestly known her like the majority of my life um is that how you know her aunt yeah i yeah. met her in high school though oh okay <laughs> um so she has had a really interesting non-traditional path in terms of going through high school and college and what she does now as a comedian in chicago Right. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll hear her talk about all that. It's all good stuff. Yes, and as she provided with her name, one of the corrections is I called her Drew Sofer, and it's... No, it is Sofer. No, it is Sofer, and it's not Sofer. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everybody. We hope you enjoy, and please provide feedback and share our podcast with anybody you know. Here's Drew Sofer. <laughs> So I share a car with my mom and like my mom, my mom drives a really nice car. So like sometimes when my friends get into it, they're like, oh my God, what does your mom even do? Like almost accusatory, you know, like a woman can't have a good job. I'm like, I'm going to have you know my mom worked really hard at getting a lot of money from alimony. Okay. (laughs) Worked really hard, worked harder on that than her marriage. Um, So like my friends get into the car and they're like, didn't your mom just get divorced? I was like, no dude, she got promoted. Okay. Mom got promoted. Divorce was the best reason for the career, by the way. It was. Um, my mom got a car. I got a laptop. My dad got a new wife. We all won. Okay? Be cool. I wish divorce on all families. Um, so double the holidays, half the fun. You know what I mean? Uh, how are you, Drew? What's what's I'm, going on in your neck of the woods? Where are you? I'm good. Um, I'm from Chicago. So, you know, living here, living the life. Um... It's very uneventful, but now it's very eventful because right. of, you know, everything that's going on. Right. Um, lots of protests and just been going back and forth, you know, downtown and then some like, and then I live like 15 minutes from downtown. So, so you've been going? Yeah. Yeah. I've been going back and forth to my boyfriend's lives downtown. I'm going to a protest, um, tomorrow though. It's- I'm supposed to be going tomorrow also in St. Louis in a, the the first reaction people say is, oh my gosh, it's so dangerous. Yeah, like, but it's like, yeah, so is that. killing a black man. So, like, you know, I mean, right. sorry to, you know, but it's like all these excuses people are saying, like, you know, I know obviously off top that's <laughs> a strong opinion, but at the same no, time, like, people are always complaining about 
all these things, like, you know, all these places that are getting looted, like, yeah, it's very inconvenient and sad and tragic, but at the same time, like, this is kind of the only way, I guess, for people to be heard, and um, most of these places have insurance. Like, Target's not going to go under, you know? Yeah. So, um, and especially here, like, there's just a lot going on. My my teammate at work had a bullet come through her window on the 12th story, um, which was kind of terrifying for her. Wow. Um, yeah, and just, like, there's just been a lot of stuff going on that's kind of crazy and um, but yeah, to your point, it's, you know, I'm going to a protest. You should go to a protest and fight for things that are right. Um, and it isn't really that dangerous. Like, I gotta be honest. It's no, yeah. no. Well, and I'm I, going I, with people that, oh my God, my dog just <laughs> carried me a bottle of nail polish remover. Um, I was my, uh, oh, no. I'm going with a group of people from work and I had a person of color ask me like, Hey, I don't want to go by myself. Will you go with me mm-hmm. like that? Right. Yes. I'll go with you. Yeah. Like the fact that they see me as somebody they can rely on to keep them safe and feel comfortable during that. Especially, or yeah, exactly. Especially being an ally, you know, and it's nice to have, um, somebody that cares and respects and even asks you to do that, you know? Yeah. Right. So I, I feel like I can't really say nah, <laughs> I'm too worried about my own I'm well-being. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm interested in, by this uh, unfortunate, tragic um, situation with George Floyd, and that I wonder why this is the one that seems to be getting so much attention. You know, uh, especially uh, us being yeah. from St. Louis, uh, I can remember, uh, you know, the murder of uh, Michael Brown mm-hmm. in Ferguson. And so, you know, I think that sort of, you know, we can talk about even going, I mean, you have all these crimes over the years. You can go back to the murder of Emmett Till. I mean, that was, you know, almost 70 years ago. I'm getting that timing right. And, you know, every time you think, you know, this is when it's really going to change. And, you know, progress is is occurring. But, you know, it's how long do you have to wait? And beyond that, I wonder why this one is having such a large uh, uh, awakening of a lot of people and, and yeah. that there's these huge, huge uh, outpouring of support and allyship occurring. Well, to give it context, so Drew, you're actually dating a person of color, yeah. so I'm interested in your yeah. perspective, particularly because, I mean, do you think people are kind of looking to you to be like, how are you dealing with this? Like... No, How's that like, been? it's so interesting. And I, I'm very, um, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting time. I really haven't been asked that, which is so interesting. But what I will say is, is that I feel like it's a time where, you know, we can do everything. We can donate, we can go to protests, we can post on social media, we can do whatever we want to kind of perform our version of advocacy. But at the same time, everyone's going to have a negative thing to say, no matter what you do. And that's kind of, why I mentioned that, because when you say something like, um, you know, like, for example, I posted a picture of me and my boyfriend, like, yesterday on my story, because we went on a bike ride yesterday to, like, get a- get away from everything and took a cute picture. And then I took it down, like, 20 minutes later, because I was like, well, what if people see that and they're like, oh, she's trying to use her her boyfriend as a way to be like, I support black people. Like, I'm just, like, afraid to do anything, you know, yeah. in terms of 
social mm-hmm. media. I'm going to a protest. You know, I've donated money to like lots of organizations that are local and support my community. But to your point, it's like I don't think it's I don't even know if like people would be asking how I'm feeling because it's not you know about me. But people have you know. So. But I was. Um, I, yeah. I think that part of what I took from Allie's question was, you know, you have all these people who white people who say, can you teach me, tell me what I know? And they're like, yeah. well, you know, she lives with a black guy. She's dating a black guy. So she should have yeah, all right. the answers. So I know, but they're, but they're not coming to you in this type of no, situation. Because it's like, it's talk to him. Damn it. It's <laughs> I do. And I really do ask him about certain things. Like, have you, because I was watching this video that was incredibly powerful. And I think every white person should watch it. Um, on Instagram, this woman spoke about how you should, like, it's not really black people's job to teach white people how to treat them, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think for me, at least, like, I don't know, watching this video just made me realize a lot of things that I, I didn't know. Um, and then, and then to that point, like I just dating, dating a black person um I think it's important like the woman on Instagram said to open up conversations that are very uncomfortable and to ask them about things that they go through because it's not really just being like I'm not racist it's like no you have to understand the experiences that they've been through um I will say that you know our relationship in terms of like do I have all the answers no obviously like no one has all the answers (laughs) but like as far as dating somebody who is black I have had way experience different experiences than dating a white person like um, a couple months ago, we went uh, to a bar and I-, I was dressed in like a casual t-shirt and jeans and he was dressed in like a sweatshirt and like jeans, I think. And they're like, oh, sorry, you're dressed too casually. You can't come in. Mm. And so like, obviously dating a white person, I've never experienced that. I've never been like not been able to do things that I want because, and I'm not going to like go in the bar and be like, see ya, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, obviously we left and went home, you know? So, but it's, it's things like that where it's like that, that has affected me, but in the same sense, it should, it's not, it's not making me, it's making me sad for the world. It's not making right. me sad. Does that make sense? It's oh, making me sad it. for yeah. how other people see him, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think you get to experience a lot of things firsthand that a lot of other white people probably don't even think about or consider no. like, cause they don't have to worry about um, like, what will you say when a cop pulls you over? Like yeah. we, that, that's not something that we're taught by our parents growing up. Like, yeah, so certain you can't wear a hood. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Or oh, you can't yeah. go for a jog now, apparently, and you can't, Exa- whatever. Right. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I feel like you have a lot more, ex- correct me if I'm wrong, a lot yeah. more exposure to those things that you see firsthand, like, damn, that has never happened to me. That's effed up. Right. Like, exactly. Right? Exactly. And, thing, and, and just like everyday things like, oh yeah, this just happened because like, we were driving and there was like a cop following us because he was driving my mom's car. And I'm like, what we are doing Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing, right. you know, but I've never experienced that. And to be honest, if I have, when a cop's following me, I don't feel threatened, Right. you know, because my life isn't threatened. So it's, it's very different to be, you know, like in a passenger seat. And here's the thing, like every, you know, I guess, um, I, I do come from like a Jewish family, but like people don't see that they don't, they can't tell I'm Jewish, you know? So like, I'm not going to be followed or whatever for my, the color of my skin, because I don't, I I look white. I I have white privilege, um, in that sense. And, um, yeah, there are definitely like different things I'm exposed to. Um, and 
just even seeing the way people talk to him, Mm -hmm. um, because I am a stand-up comedian, and there will be people that come... I mean, I was talking to two of my black friends, one who's uh, half black and then my boyfriend, and they were both talking about how after a show, somebody, like, will just come up to them and, like, loosely say the N-word. And, like, just not... Just think, like... Because they think that since I see you performing on stage... Mm-hmm. and you're saying it so loosely, like, I'm one of the good ones, I'm cool, we can kind of say it to each other. And that's obviously, like, not okay. Right. But that's how, but people think, like, but that's what people think, you know? That is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe that. Yeah. They and think, like, oh, it's a joke because you're a comedian, so Right, I say exactly. It. It's, like, it's just, it's dumb. It's, people are idiots. But that's, you know, just some of the things, you know, I mean, there's, there's comedy clubs that I've seen that have, you know, I mean, probably nobody who's listening to this will know, um, I guess I comedy friends, but, um, somebody at a comedy club who like offered him less money to host, uh, Mm. a show than a white host. I can't believe that's still going on. And here's the thing. It's so blatant. Yes, it is. And people will defend and, oh, they've been working at the club for longer. It doesn't matter. You're doing the same amount of time. You're doing, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But the bottom line is it's just it's prejudice and racist. And um, so, yeah, I've I've seen it doesn't obviously affect me, but it it makes me sad for those people who are like that in the world and everything. Um, But I I do get more exposure to that and see things that are fucked up. Yeah. Going off of your, uh, you know, you being a comedian, how do you, I mean, it's with all comedy, it's how do you find comedy in like a moment like this and like all the stuff that's going on around the world? Like what, can you take refuge yeah, in that line? right now? Yeah. yeah. Um, I always think for me personally, like the line is kind of time, you know, because I feel like people, um, you know, like people making jokes about Kobe like a week after he died or a day Mm -hmm. after he died saying like you know throwing shit into the trash can and being like Kobe like it's a little too soon you know Mm -hmm. and like obviously I'm the type of person that like look some a woman has walked out on one of my shows telling me I offended her way too much and yelled at me to never joke about suicide again you know but like that's I'm standing on stage with the intention of you know do this is an act if you don't like comedy get get the fuck out but if it's not funny and if it's too soon it's just not it's it's not for me it's sometimes it's like classless if that makes sense it's it's a it's a respect thing right so if if you're making jokes a month later about it okay yeah like that's fair game that's fair game bro go make your jokes about you know whatever all, all this stuff but um I think when it's, when it's happening, just kind of, do you have to, you know, maybe write all your stuff <laughs> and be like, I'm going to do this in two months when people kind of are less, you know, right, right. exposed to it. In the heat of it. Yeah. So, uh, what made you, what was your first introduction into comedy? How did you get into that, that life? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, I've always... Um, I, I used to do theater, so I was always in kind of like a performative background a little bit, and I've always done sports, which are kind of performative in a way. Um, and so for comedy, for me personally, switching from theater to improv to stand-up was mostly just 
um, I didn't, I quit theater for a while. And then I honestly, like if I'm being completely transparent, what happened was I, my, I went through a really hard time with my family and parents divorced and all that stuff. And, um, after that, I, every time something would happen with my parents or my stepmom or just anything, I would rant to one of my friends and they're like, I, they like couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, this is, this is not funny. Like I'm right. my like I'm so upset, and they're like, no, I just can't. Like you have to tell I'm me. Having this a meltdown right time. now. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm like I'm borderline like gonna go. I'm, the hospital is like a step away. Okay. Wait. So is and, is it now therapeutic? How does that change from uh, no, I'm really this is traumatic we, to <laughs> wait. I could joke about this now. Um. Well, that's like that's the thing that that took time for me. You know, that's how I started with somebody telling me like you need to do stand up or like something. And then I watched um Louis C K. Like obviously before the the, the at least to our knowledge of what we knew what was going on because obviously it was going on forever, but we didn't know about it. And I, he was the first like my first introduction to stand up was my senior year of high school, and I was like this guy is the fucking shit. And I made it my, like, mission to, like, watch everything he's done, watch every, like, series, even if it was TV, even if it was emotional and not funny. Mm-hmm. So I just, like, put all of my energy into that because at the time that was the only thing that made me feel better about what I was going through. Um, and then I dove into that. And then I went to school, had a hard time there with everything. And I was like, I'm not going to start. where was that? In University of Denver. Okay. Yeah. And you, so were, I, and you started there and you did competitive swimming. Yeah, I was a diver, so I, I dove. I mean, it's swimming and diving, very different sports, but we're on the I'm same sorry. team. So no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> um, people are always like, "You're a swimmer." I'm like, "I am five two. I am not." <laughs> but um, I dive. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> I can swim. I actually did play water polo, but I'm not like a competitive swimmer. Like I'm not a racer. <laughs> I was just thinking about <laughs> if divers couldn't swim, you're like. You just said, oh, I could. no, yeah, you do, <laughs> like, like, one dive of practice. They just, you just dive, and you actually just can't swim. Somebody has to go yeah. save you from the pool. Go on. That would be, yeah. Um, oh, so, I, yeah, I did diving, and then what I did was I was like, I'm in a horrible place. I want to quit diving and go home and, like, do stand-up. That's my dream. Um, and then I uh, had a mental breakdown <laughs> and uh, came home from school, and started a class at second city which is like one of the best um just like improv schools there was just there's just a lot of celebrity credits there um that started and it just it's a great um i guess introduction for people who want to be introduced to whether it's improv stand-up writing there's classes for people with anxiety like how to get on stage mm. when you, or people who um, have to give presentations at work that need help with that you know and the greatest people have come out of there, like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler came right, out of there, right. Amy Bryant, like all these amazing, you know, people on SNL, Chris Redd. Um, so for me, my introduction to stand-up was definitely tragedy, which is kind of what creates comedy. But I mean, but that really was what um, started it for me. I was uh, looking at your, uh, some videos of you on YouTube prior to this, you know, prepping a little bit. And there was uh-huh. like two jokes that I saw, found very funny they were they were kind of old ones but they were from two it was a video from uh 2018 and it was this is yeah uh uh-huh you prepped yourself you didn't prep me for this one well no no it's not it's not bad no it was uh (laughs) you were still in college at this time you talked about how you were so into the comedy world that you even when you walked into classes 
you still thought yeah. you were like doing comedy, you know, and your teacher would say like, yeah, no, the joke. Yeah. I remember I did that joke. It was like, I, I do comedy so much that even when my teacher walks in, she's like, how's everybody doing? And I'm like, woo. <laughs> and the reason why <laughs> I wrote that joke was because legit, I was in class and I always sat in the back cause I was always like 20 minutes late. And I, she, the teacher came in and she's like, how's everybody doing? And I literally was like, oh. and I like my stomach clenched up because I was about to start cheering because right. I was doing open <laughs> mics like three times a night. Um, and then I was waking up, going to class, uh, working out, doing this intense hot yoga, running to class, like still sweating. And then right. go, you know, hand out flyers for my shows, doing comedy seven times a night. So it was just like, it was so ingrained in my mind. <laughs> I love that. I think it's so funny. Thank you, said, you. you said the tickets were so expensive. Yeah. And every every show every show was terrible and you wanted a refund. And then there was another one I liked. Thank you. <laughs> it was about how you talk about your mom's divorce and how it was a promotion. Yeah, because listen, you know, ladies, you know, you can uh you know, we can we can all call it alimony, but it's still money at the end of the day. And, uh, my mom, my mom worked really hard for that alimony. So (laughs) (laughs) I will always stand by that. You said, I got, I got a, when she, she got a car, I got a laptop and my dad got a new wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I don't even do these jokes anymore. I I know. I kind of dug it for me. Transcribe them. Why don't you do those jokes anymore? What do you focus on now? I just, um, here's the thing. I, there's still jokes from that set that I still do. Um, to this day for sure. Um, so I'm always like, you know, doing my strong material and stuff when I do bigger shows, but, um, I tend to focus on like what's going on, you know, because Mm -hmm. if I'm, I find that if I start doing jokes about college and I'm not in college, um, I don't really find it fun to do because it's not as like, yes, no, it's not as relevant and it's not something I want to talk about. Um, I, you know, recently I was, I was thinking about this today. Are you guys working from home? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I hate it. it oh, it's another dude. story. Same. So I, I was thinking about this, writing this joke today where I was like, <laughs> but well, hold on, hold on. To, to all the people that have to show up at work. I just want to, and have to be there as essential workers. All, I mean, you guys are doing, I mean, I love it. We appreciate yeah. you. Round of applause. For yes. That, who are actually going to work. Yes. I'm working from <laughs> home and complaining about it. So, yeah. you know, same. Um, it's all perspective, but I, I was, um, I was on like a, so we have these zoom happy hours at four 30 on a Wednesday, which like why? Um, but we have them every week and we have to do them with my team and dude, the only way I can get through them and I just get so fucking high for the whole thing. <laughs> and then I was like so fucking high and paranoid that I was like, wait, can they like smell my weed? <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. I'm on a zoom call. Oh yeah. But seriously, that was a thought I had today. And I was like, this is, you, you, I am, I am not okay. <laughs> jerking your head around like, what the hell is wrong with you? I don't know. Yeah. I was like, am I staring at the screen? Am I looking at the camera? Am I making eye contact? You know, <laughs> it was just a lot of emotions going on. How long do they last? An hour, bro. Ooh. An ooh. hour. That is, yeah. And what, like, it's not even like you can bounce around the room if you're like at a bar or something. You got to like. Oh, you just kind of like sit there. Yeah, and just like, yeah, so what are you doing? Well, I was inside all day, and then, you know, I had to work. Doing the same thing you did all day. Exactly. I got takeout, I door dashed. How do you guys um, deal with working from home? Like, how has it been for you? For me, it started off really rough. Uh, 
And then eventually when I adjusted and got in the swing of things, I was like, okay, I can do this. Now it's to the point where every day I have a little less energy. I wake up a little bit later. Uh, maybe don't eat as healthy as I should be yeah. mm-hmm. getting worse and worse. Um, I had this tendency when I was in the office just to work straight through lunch. I cannot do that at home or I will be miserable. Like yeah. I have to get up, go outside. If that's taking my dog out, if that's like watching an episode of community mm-hmm. and then coming back, like you have to get up, move and then come back. Cause it, it's been weighing on me for yeah. sure. Do you think it's because because what I'm wondering from home is I'm like, why is it so much worse for us right now than people who generally just work from home? And I think it's because of the quarantine, you know? Yeah. Because like yeah. you actually have to work from home. It's not a choice. Yeah. I have I had the flexibility prior to work from home and I didn't like to because it I'm not as productive and I don't have all yeah. my screens. I'm yeah. like, I'm like down with, a monitor right now. So Right. With the two screens. Yeah, it really is something I took advantage of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do want to just say that you, I don't know if you know this, but you were the inspiration for us to start this podcast. And oh, I wanted thank to. You. I, no, you worry. I was like, if Drew can do it, I can do it, or we can do it. Oh. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that podcast called Doing Time and yeah. what where that came from and why, um, you know, you wanted to start do that. Yeah. So, um, the reason why I started it was because I was, a so I, I run a podcast that's called doing time. It's on Spotify, iTunes, like literally wherever you can find podcasts. Um, and then I have Instagram, TikTok, like whatever, just sorry, plugging myself. But, um, the, the, the podcast is basically a way for, um, people who have experienced mental health mainly who people who have been in a psych ward on uh, to talk about their experiences and being kind of institutionalized, if you will, mm-hmm. or uh, just experiencing uh, knowing and, you know, in proximity to someone who's experienced severe mental health uh, issues, you know, attempts at suicide, things, things of that nature. Um, and we just like really get into it and just talk about everything. I ask really uncomfortable questions right? because uh, I just feel they're necessary to talk about. Um, the reason why I started it, though, was because I always wanted to work in the mental health field. I always loved helping people because of the stuff that I've been through personally. And so um, when I started comedy, I obviously podcasting is kind of just a form of that. Um, and I wanted to kind of make, you know, I'll, I'll talk about some dark stuff, but also make light of it. And so that's where the comedy part kind of came into play a little bit when I, you know, we try to talk about stuff and make light of it. Um, and I did want to start it because I want comedy to be to be my full time. I was going to go to grad school and like get a, you know, a master's and um, all that stuff to become a psychologist. So this is kind of my way of like being one without having to, you know, go to grad school and pay a million dollars. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And people get to listen to you instead of you having to listen to them. I don't yeah, know. If it, it, yeah. There you go. But there's some, uh, I, there was some interesting titles and I was wondering how you came up with those uh, yeah. that you had for, you know, I'm just going to read a couple of, of them off. Yeah. Uh, what is life without meaning? Mm-hmm. Do you need a therapist if you have supportive friends? Mm-hmm. Why are we putting on a front for people? And can psychedelics help you with anger? I mean, really interesting. Yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking of all those people. <laughs> yeah. The, the, which people those were. Yeah. And how, do, so how do you, is it just like some of you came up with like through the discussions or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So typically it's, um, you know, when, especially just 
I, I know Allie works in social media and media and things like that. Um, the first thing that people kind of teach you is like when you want someone to listen to you, especially with mental health, which is such a like voiceless part of the community mm-hmm. of any community because it's right. so, you know, um, kind of shameful to talk about. Um, and the titles are kind of just to grab your attention and be like, this is something that I want to listen to. Cause I never want to put out a podcast. that's like doing time episode one. It's like, unless you know what doing time is, you're not going to want to listen to it unless you're already invested in it. So I think for me, pulling out like the root of the conversation and what like the best part of it was or the most exciting or the most meaningful or inspirational part of it right. um, really just helps like capture, you know, your attention and kind of want you to listen to people's experiences and voices and things of that nature. I think that is so freaking important. I can't even say Thank you. how important I think that is because people, as soon as they encounter somebody who they um, might have concerns about, people tend to be like, oh, I'm going to pretend it's not happening or mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. It's not my place. So I'm not going to say anything. Right. So what, what you're doing is normalizing having those conversations mm-hmm. yeah, and being you. like, no, you need to freaking reach out to the people you're concerned about. Right. Um, there, there's no wrong way to say like, Hey, I care about you. You know, right? exactly. And it's so interesting because this literally, this happened to me yesterday um, where like there was a situation where I, cause I'm always that person that's like, I can talk about my anxiety to anyone and how I've been through depression. And it's not true. Like there mm. are, you know, like yesterday I was at my boyfriend's house and his cousin was over and, um, my boyfriend's family, like, is very Christian. Um, they're all amazing people, and I love them all. But they're, you know, they come from a different background than I do. And so they, and especially just being in the black community, especially, like, talking about Black Lives Matter and things of that nature, we don't talk about um, mental health in the black community and how it affects them. And The trauma, they, all the trauma that's there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'd love to hear everyone's perspective on it, but I think for, at least for me, like, I was at his house, and... I was going to take out my pills and I was thinking of like what I was going to say if he asked me what my pills were for and they were antidepressants, you know, and it's like, Mm. I shouldn't be, I've been on them for, I literally don't even know how long, like so long. I've been on them forever. If who said this, if, if if his cousin asked me like, Oh, what are you taking? I would have been like, Oh, it's Advil. I just have a headache or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's it, it. And then I do realize like, yes, I, I am comfortable talking about it, but I'm not really as open as I, I, th- I'm comfortable with maybe the people I surround myself with that generally, I guess, would be um, more normalized to talk about it versus more communities that don't talk about it as much. You know, there are certain people that I yeah. know don't talk about it and I'm uncomfortable, I guess, to talk about it. with Well, them. well I think we'll get to a point, hopefully, yeah. I don't know when, where <laughs> it won't be an anxiety inducing thing to talk about your anxiety. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I did this the other day. Somebody was like, oh, I don't believe in pills. I don't take pills. I'm like, oh, I like pop four every morning. And they were like, what do you take? And at first I was like, uh. And then I just freaking said, I'm on anxiety medication. Mm-hmm. And they got so weird. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So weird. But the more you do that, the less weird it'll be. And exactly. then I, I act like it's not a big deal. And then we move on and it's fine. Exactly. Like, And then maybe when they have struggles down the road, They'll be like, oh, maybe I can ask Allie about that because mm-hmm. she struggled with that exactly. a while ago. And then you can and, be that person that yeah. they reach out to when they don't feel like, you know, everything's okay. And I, Yeah, I, or they feel like uh, this. I'm the only person who has this problem. I don't know anybody who struggles like this. 
surprise, yeah, you do know somebody. Um, Why do you think that is? Why is there this stigma surrounding people Um, who, you know, may have some, you know, may need some support through medication? Yeah. I'm just interested by that. Like it's like a resistance for people to ask for help. Like, what is it? I don't know why there's such a stigma about it. I feel like when people ask me this question, I have a different answer every time because I don't think that there's like, you know, one answer for it. Um, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind right now is, um, is ego mostly. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the times and, and, and and the reason why their ego obviously is, uh, comes into check is because of culture and how Mm -hmm. we've, um, suppressed like those emotions of like, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but I think a lot of times, like, especially men are tended to, um, push their feelings down and not want to talk about it. And that's why like there are, we do see more, um, like I guess suicides in men. I don't know if there are more suicides with males if I'm wrong, but it's more, I guess. Can you fact check that? Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but maybe it's, you know, more men that commit suicide and people aren't, you know, they didn't struggle with mental health or no one had any idea of what was going on. Um, at least, so I think for me, sometimes when I think of that, I'm like, maybe it is men that, um, or maybe I, sorry, it's society that tells a certain group of people how to handle things. Um, and then, and then if that is treated with medication or those means, it's considered weak because you're not upholding to the standard. Possibly, you you know, what it could be is I, I was thinking it's a lot of it is this sense that you're not in control or it appears that you're not in control. And so if you say that you have to take medicine, then it appears that you're, you know, you're not like stable well, and you're not have like, you guys ever, so I don't know if you've had this, but the one thing or the one point, what's the one point that people bring up to you guys? If, have you ever suggested medication to anybody? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And what was their like response? Uh, I don't want to be dependent on drugs. Okay. Okay. Anthony, have you? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I have su- suggested it and... Yeah, they're saying, yeah, I, you know, I'll think about it. I just think there's just a resistance, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I and, I, and I do, and I preface it with saying, a lot of it too is I've been on medication, and it could be temporary because what you recognize if you take like an anxiety medicine is that things aren't necessarily. I'm talking about myself. You, you know, like if you look at situations, you're like, I don't have to look at it in this way, and look how the situation turned out, and you know, everything was fine. And so you learn and you can, you know, kind of train yourself and then wean yourself off of it. So, yeah, Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, that's for it and against it and everything. The one point that I will say that everyone brings up to me, at least if I've suggested antidepressants, because I'm a huge proponent of, um, you know, just get on meds, life short. Um, but, um, I've always been like that. Uh, but the one point that people do say to me when I say that is I I don't want it to change me. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that everyone says. And it's so interesting because it does change, but like, I have a joke about it. I'm like, you like, okay, you don't want it to change you, but you hate you, you know? Right. It's like, why would you, you know, if, if, if that, if it's going to solve the part of you, First of all, it doesn't change you. It, it it just balances out and makes you kind of feel just normal again to what you were before. But if if the part of you that you want to change is not to be miserable anymore, why wouldn't you, you know, that's my point is why wouldn't you just take them? Yeah, I think people, I, I've heard that before. Yeah. And it might be a change from their perspective to when you were unhappy 
and miserable yeah. to I'm actually getting control over my uh, my anxiety or my depression. And maybe that manifests itself in different ways. So people are like, oh, you're different. Yes. But it's if you're being more content with yourself and feeling better, then that change is kind of necessary. Right. So that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I a was. A change yeah. in all the right areas. Exactly. Um, and I, I will say the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. Yeah. And in 2018, men died by suicide 3.56 times more than women. Wow. Yeah. Pushing those feelings White down. males. You said you interview people who went into institutions. Why yeah, does that interest you? What, like, what? That seems like such a, I don't know. Like, I think, I think for me, it's more, I'm, I'm a very extreme person. Like, I'm very, um anything I really get into, I'm all in like a thousand percent. Right. So, uh, when I, you know, there's, there could be some, I don't want to graze the surface. If that makes sense. I don't want to be like, let's, are your parents together? Oh, they don't get along. Okay. No. My first question is how much time have you done? Let's cut the fuck. I can't stand small talk. I don't like it. It's just unnecessary. Any person at a corporate job, I just, I want to, I can't, I, I, sorry, I'm getting heated. Okay. I can't stand that small talk, you know, that you have with your coworkers and how's everything going. So for me, it's a way to be like, what the fuck's up? What happened to you? Talk to me about your darkest secrets because we don't have podcasts like that. You know, are we, we, we might, I just might not know about them, but in my mind, it's like, there could be podcasts about mental health. There could be podcasts about eating disorders or about, you know, um, preventing suicide or education. But in my mind, talking about, you know, a specific part of mental health that people don't really talk about. You know, we talk about, oh, they went to the psych ward and they got better, but we don't talk about like the traumas that happened there or mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. stuff that led them there. It's always like, oh, they're better. It's fine. Let's not talk about it anymore. They're on right. vacation. It's, it's cool. So I think to like dig deep on the part that really people don't talk about, because I didn't talk about it. I was told to tell, I told people I was sick for like a week, you know, it's like people don't get fever for a week. I mean, coronavirus, but you know, people generally, <laughs> people generally don't get, do you just sneeze when I said that? No, I laughed. Oh, I, I, laugh, I thought you were sneezing. I was like, that's funny. Um, so yeah, laugh. people generally, you know, so I, I think, um, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. So I feel like for me, it's like, from who? Fun to- who said yeah, that, that goes back, that goes back to the whole, why do people, why is there's the stigma around it? People get uncomfortable. Oh, I yeah. really think it's because we're raised to be like, don't but, tell but who, that. Don't tell people that, sweetie. Like, who said you couldn't talk about it? Who said that you had to be sick? Um, you know what? I was talking to my friend who was also um going through that with me, and she's still my best friend to this day. Um, and she said that her mom told her to say that, and mm. then, um, because we were both in the hospital at like the same time, you know, same year, but. I, for me, it was me that t- I was like, I can't tell people this. And my mom was like, you know, it might be best if you, you know, you can tell them the truth if you want. She's always been supportive. She's like, you can tell them the truth if you want, but if you don't, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Like she made me, you know, she raised me to be independent like that and to not be controlled by, you know, what she wanted me to say to other people to reflect back on me or her, you know? So, um, right. I, for me, it was, a, it definitely was a, um, a loss of control because for me saying that I went to the hospital was like, I didn't have control over my depression and feeling suicidal. I didn't have control over my anxiety or my OCD. Um, and so when I was going through the time where I wasn't open, yeah, it was mm-hmm. definitely a huge, it made me feel uh, weak that I, um, 
you know, that I chose to go because it, it's, I don't know. Cause I obviously felt better after about it. I was like, right. I feel strong that I went and I came back good, but going into it, it was, um, yeah, it made me feel really just like an ego blow, I guess. I really think it stems back from, I don't even know how long ago when if, if your kid, my grandpa told me this, he's a, he was a medical doctor for like over 50 years. Yeah. When you were a kid back like even 50 years ago, that's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it came out that you had suicide or depression or even autism or anything out of the mainstream that it was the fault of the parents. Yeah. Uh, so then the parents um, suppress those kind of treatments or any kind of talk about that. So I think that's still. That's so interesting. Like I, I had to kind of convince my parents that therapy was a good idea for me or that, hey, something's off. They were like, nah, like, she'll get over it kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think I've taught them a whole lot. Right. How do your parents so, deal with it? Like, is that how they now, deal with it generally? Like, before? They were, like, shocked and, like, really kind of upset when I first said, like, I'm going to try out therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my doctor recommended it. I'm going to try it. And my mom was like, do you really think you you need that? Like, kind of like, is that really necessary kind of thing? And it's not like I had a severe case of anxiety, but enough where it was affecting my day-to-day life. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I, I, why wouldn't I try it? And it was kind of like this, are you sure you want to take that route kind of thing? But now when I, oh, I've openly talked about it with them for a while, but like still set boundaries because I don't want to give my mom TMI. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> she does ask me like, do you talk to your therapist about X, Y, Z? Because I sometimes stress about this. I'm like, yeah, everyone should go to therapy. Right. Literally everybody should go to therapy. Yeah. So I think it's helped like talking yeah. about it. And you bring up a good point that it's like everyone should go to therapy. And just because you, th- just because when you tell someone you need to go to therapy doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. Like everyone thinks that, but there's nothing wrong with me. Why should I go to therapy? And it's, Sometimes you need someone to listen mm-hmm. because yeah, it can it can be very situational too. Like Anthony, to your point, uh, you don't it might it's not accepting that you'll be taking a medication or having treatment for something the rest of your life. Sometimes it's very situational. Like yeah. at this point in our lives, it's very stressful right. with finding our place in the world right. and navigating all these decisions. But maybe when we're more secure uh, later on in life, we're older and we feel like we have a a larger grip on something, maybe that kind of treatment or medication isn't as necessary. So I think it's very situational mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Well, Drew, is there, I want to know, is there something that you want to talk about that like a cause that's really important to you that we didn't ask about or something, something that, uh, um, I don't know. Does anything what, come to what mind would you about like, like to bring... I just want people to know this. Yeah. What would you like to bring awareness to? Um, uh, not that you didn't bring awareness to all this other oh, shit. Oh, thank already, you. But. Yeah. Um, I I put you on the spot. You did, and it's so it's so hard because I have an answer, but I I um I think um it's just and this is something I'm learning because I'm horrific at it. Um, I'm a really bad listener. Like I think I tend to all right Drew. so thank you so much for uh joining us. <laughs> shut the fuck up continue that was a good one that was a good one i appreciate that no i'm a really bad <laughs> listener and um i think that's something that everyone should consider in terms of mental health because um 
when we see a symbol of mental health or um, a quote crazy person screaming on the street or whatever, like we, it's not like we need to listen to what they're saying, you know, in that moment, but when, you know, <laughs> when we talk to them or, or talk to the man anybody, wants a cheeseburger, we will give yeah. him a cheeseburger. Listen to what he's saying. God damn it. Um, but you know, it's like, I feel like a lot of times, especially just what I've learned in my interviews and my mom, I've even talked to my mom about this is, just listening and listening to everything they have to say and how that shaped them to what they did. Because a lot of times we don't realize that people make decisions and it really has nothing to do with them. It's based on circumstances and the things that have kind of led them up to a situation. And I think it's really important to always consider context. That is the most important thing for a lot of things that are even going on right now. And um, to what you asked me earlier about like, where do we draw the line with comedy? People are taking context out of everything. Well, people say, "Yeah, go ahead." I'm gonna, I'm gonna interject. Um, but yeah. you had said a point earlier of that woman who walked out of your set, and yeah. because you insulted her or offended her because of suicide. However, yeah. Yeah. you have you have that experience, so she doesn't right. know necessarily you have that experience, but. Why, she does. Say, I oh, did. Okay. Well, yeah, because your say, whole set is about uh, it. Gonna, yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Well, I was going to say a lot of times. No, 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 no. People don't yeah. realize that you have folks that you know who have dealt with it. You've gotten their, you know, consent to talk about these things because they want to bring awareness. Right. And it's it's that position of people to be resistant and say we can't talk about this. That that you know that's when yeah and happen. And this and you, here like, and the thing joking about it is still talking about it yeah. because. because joke writing as much as we want to be like they're just silly comedians we are trying to make a point and my point is that if we just make jokes of this and me you know me making light of it and my own suicide attempt and make light of it it comes to a point where like like Allie was saying it's going to become normal to talk about it and that's like if you're joking about it it just it can take that step down and be like okay well she's joking about it we can at least talk about it right right you yeah. know so yeah like, and then on your way home from that set in the car you're like geez I can't believe she brought that up well she said a good point about that exactly like, right, and that's what exactly and I've even watched stuff that talks about that and the reason why she walked out was because I made a joke um and I even did tell my story but I did a joke that I was like um I was like, uh, I was, um, there was a man who jumped off a building in Chicago and I was like, I just, that would be like the last way that I would want to commit suicide because I used to be a gymnast. So if I jumped off a building, I'd stick the landing. Right. So like, that was my joke. Okay. But, um, by the way, it's killing everybody. Um, everyone's laughing. Everybody's cracking up on the floor. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it, I made that joke and it actually got an applause break. So like people were clapping for me and I think people approving of my joke and like really liking it, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause I don't get applause breaks often for suicide jokes, you know, right. um, really made her feel like it's not, it, you know, it's not okay. So she walked out and I, I didn't even know she walked out of my set until I ran into her. Cause I, there was, there's two stages at this comedy club. There's a downstairs and an upstairs. I was performing on the downstairs, running up to the upstairs. Cause sometimes I do both stages and I, and I was on my way upstairs and she, um, was like, don't you ever, doesn't even say hi, not civil. Don't you ever joke about suicide again. And my nephew, my nephew, killed himself and I was like I can tell why um but I'm sorry I'm sorry (laughs) but I was like bro like 
Did you not just hear me talk about how I attempted suicide? I made I made light of it. And, you know, I understand, but, like, it's not really my it's, – it's not my problem at that point. That's your problem. No, you that's, can handle that's that. her own issues that she hasn't dealt with yet, and she walked into a comedy club. Right, exactly. And I don't know what she was expecting, but – Right. You can't expect anything goes. anybody in comedy not to, to talk about suicide, abortion, murder, like right. everything. Right, right, right. Nothing's off limits. So that's why we Everybody's do it. got their own experience with that kind of stuff and everybody yeah. deals with it in a different way. And that's how you deal with your experience. And if she's not comfortable with that, then she can uh, leave. Yeah. So, but <laughs> she, she didn't did. really have the right to lecture you about that in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. And her daughter was standing there like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Mom, you know. Oh. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just laying into this woman, but, no, um, good. you know, it's, uh, she's not it's, uh, you know, at that moment, I, I, at that moment, I feel like I really won, you know, because if you don't have any haters, yes, you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you no, for real, you're making an impact, making waves. When you said, uh, about the listening, what does listening look like? Is that just, yeah. it's not trying to, for me, it would be like, literally just watching me and saying mm-hmm, and acknowledging that I'm talking and not trying to interject your own experience. Okay. Like what yes. does that look so like for you? It's that, but so the difference between, um, listening. Okay. Well, so I, I should just preface this. The difference between, have you ever heard like the difference between hearing and listening? Yeah. Okay. So hearing is like, I literally verbatim can repeat what you said, you know? Yeah. The sky is blue, right? But if I say the sky is blue and you're listening to me, it's like, why is she saying that? Why is she pointing that out? What's what's from her perspective that we can see that what brought her to this point, you know? Mm. So we're trying to see all the things around it. And I think listening is more being open minded. Right. It's like hearing with an open perspective. Right. It's kind of what listening is. And so for me, at least instead of just hearing them and being like, oh, you were in a hospital? So was I. It's like, oh, you were in a hospital? What led you there? What this? What that? You know? And just getting all the information I can to be like, okay, this is why you did this because your dad did this, so then it led you to do this. You know? It's very, um, it just makes, it, it, once you listen, it, everything kind of just makes sense, I feel like. You, you, go on. Yeah, that's, yeah. I was going to say, you listen, and then you get like that point that you brought up, the context, and I, I'm going to s- pull all the way back to the start of our uh, this uh, show. It was that we talked about, you know, the trauma throughout African American communities, and it's this same argument of if they just, you know, worked hard, if they pulled their pants up, if they, you know, go to school, <laughs> oh, and they, they do. You know, like, you know, what the fuck? No, if they go to school, ro- I just rolled my eyes and so they, hard. You know, go to college, and right? It's like, right. Well, if you don't have, you know, access to breakfast in the morning, if you, you know, don't have access to get to school, if you don't, you know, necessarily know how to read, and you've been pushed through the system all these years, you've been, right. gotten to a certain grade level, you know, then it, it gives you a, a better understanding, and it's like people don't come, people don't aren't acting out because they necessarily want to. It's all yeah. uh, because of, you know, what they've been, you know, had to go through. Yeah. Right. And it's all experience and you have to listen to know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's no, right. And the, to your point, no one wants to tear down a target, you know, like that's, and, and, it's, and that's not, and there's a lot of agitators. I, w- I mean, we can, we can say that because you can see it on online. Right. Um, um, but yeah, and it's, it's, 
it is very interesting in what's going on. And, you know, I, I, um, for my psych major, I volunteered at a school for about six months and I taught kids how to read at a school on the South side. I was the only white person in that whole entire school. And every time I drove to that neighborhood, I swear to God that we drove there for weeks upon weeks and I never saw a grocery store ever. Yeah. And yeah. so, deserts. so you're telling me you're supposed to, they're supposed to eat apples and oranges and, um, you know, bananas and nutrition and all these foods and avocado toast when they don't even have <laughs> access yeah. to, um, their closest access is a Seven Eleven. So right. why, why are you blaming them for eating hot Cheetos when they don't have access to apples, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's something that, but, but then again, it's something that people don't understand, you know, like people like driving into that neighborhood. I was like, wow, I'm so lucky that I have three grocery stores that are literally within walking distance from my house. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, I, it's exactly, it's, it's considering context and what's around you. Listening is key. I think that's a great way to kind of conclude, but I do have one question and this is, I'm going to throw it about my five hashtags. No, this isn't about the five hashtags. Uh, (laughs) Did you come up with the five hashtags yet? I sent them to you. Oh, no, but you said, you said you gave me six anyways. Uh, (laughs) Uh, no, so I, 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 I my own ego. No, so <laughs> I said, Drew, yeah. where do you see yourself in a year? Where what's Drew doing in a year? Um, I gotta be honest, doing the same thing. Um, yeah. I I I really, for me right now, this past, I guess these next, and I haven't even verbalized it, but I guess the next two or three years is dedicated to just me working and making a lot of money to save up for New York and move, uh, to do comedy. I mean, Woo! yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a long road and it's not something that people, um, you know, you can't be in Chicago for two years and do all the comedy that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes, it takes time and to get to know people and the coronavirus is probably slowing it down. So that'll add an extra probably two years. I gotta be honest. Um, I, my job's pretty sh- stressful but i um i think i'm gonna stick with it so that i can save um so yeah that's awesome it takes um a lot to be a comedian and to put yourself out there and to be super resilient (laughs) and tell that tell that woman to screw off this Ah. is your experience not hers like it takes a unique kind of person to be able to recognize their uh, their faults and their struggles and laugh at it. Thank so you. I admire you in that aspect. Thanks, Allie. Well, Drew, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. And I know that you, us in doing this, us in having this discussion and you providing your perspective is helping a lot of people. And through this oh, podcast, no, I, I, I mean so. that. And through this podcast, we want to shed light on important causes and, you know, bring awareness to important issues. So You've done that today, and uh, thank you, thank you very much. <sighs> I work in sales, man. I work for, I sell Grubhub, so I try to help restaurants make more money or whatever the fuck. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, this job, man, uh, it has turned me into a monster of a human being. Like, I feel like everything I do now, I am just trying to close a business transaction, right? Like, no matter what. I, this is a true story. I was on the phone with this uh lady recently and I was like hey this is Drew with Grubhub we're offering a special discount is Doug available and the lady on the phone was like Doug passed away oh yeah and I was like okay would Doug pass up on a good deal though you know what I mean? 
<laughs> She's like, sweetie, Doug had a heart attack. And I'm like, yeah, because you heard how good the discount was. Okay, that's why he had a heart attack, right? I'm like, if you haven't had the funeral, we also offer catering. So... <laughs> um, that was really, really incredible. Al, it went wonderful. She's so easy to talk to. Yeah. Um, yep. I don't know. She's just inspiring to me. She, you know, there was more to her story that, you know, I didn't recognize or realize. And so, you know, to hear it from her was, you know, to hear more about it was, was. Good. Yeah. And not, not knowing ahead of time what she was going to be willing to share. I'm glad she was very open with this. Yes. I didn't, there was no prep from my end on questions or feeding of a briefing, if you will. I, I, I could talk to her for hours. Yeah. She is good. We got to go see her in She's Chicago. Good. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to sit in the back because I'm gonna be so distracting. And if I'm in the front, I'm gonna be like, I know her. She. she Woo! After we got off from the original or the uh, recording, she said she was going over to her boyfriend's. She's doing this bicycle challenge, and she said she usually rides bikes. Her bike. Him and her. Her. Her and her boyfriend. At like midnight. A ninety-day bike challenge. 10, uh, 10 miles of biking a day. And I said, young lady, it's almost nine o'clock. <laughs> she said, I know I do most of it at night. And I said, do you have a reflector on your bike? And she said, no. And I have headphones in. Okay, bye. <laughs> and that was the end of that. But I'm going to text her later to make sure she's fine. But I think that went really well. And I hope that you all, you know, took something from, from her background and uh you know can can share it with with others yeah and uh definitely give her podcast a listen doing time yes they're they're not doing recordings right now she actually uh started like as she said this started in august of 2019 uh but you know due to coronavirus she hasn't been able to recording or to record because she does it in person and she also posts to youtube but uh, she's looking to do some remote recording as we're doing uh, to start. All right, everybody, be kind. Be well. And don't walk out of comedy shows.